0: Welcome to the Calming Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Minton, Psychotherapist and Mindfulness Coach. This podcast is designed to offer you inspiration, wisdom, and actionable steps to support you to nurture your inner light. I had the great privilege of interviewing author and therapist Jennifer Parker, who wrote the book, Coercive Relationships, Find the Answers You Seek. I appreciate Jennifer's years of experience and how she has taken all of her experience and wisdom and brought it to this conversation today to talk about what are coercive relationships? What is coercive control? And the importance of recognizing and identifying this relationship dynamic for what it is. I welcome you to listen and let me know what you think. Enjoy. All right, Jennifer. So I am so thankful that you're here with me today to talk about course of relationships and the month's theme of um, guilt. And so I'm wondering if we could start with a question that I ask everyone when I start the interview for a podcast episode. And that is that I think all of us come to this work from our own journey, um, whatever that may be. And so I wonder if you can speak a little bit to the journey that brought you into this work. And then maybe from there, you can talk a little bit about what your work is.
1: Definitely. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the work that you're doing. That's a very good question because my journey actually began began when I was going through the crisis of a divorce, of finding out that my partner had, had um, betrayed me. And you know what happens during those times is you really start to look at your life And so that was a period of real growth for me. And in order to, you know, I was also, I I was the mother of two young children, had just been working a little bit. But in order to begin to support myself more, I decided that I needed to take advantage of my psychology degree, but brush up on it and do an internship. And so I did that through a social work program. And they put me at what we called a battered women's shelter then, Mm -hmm. okay, in northern Minnesota. And so that was something that I knew nothing about. I thought, however, you know, at that point, I mean, this was back in the 80s. At that point, we were just beginning to identify uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence. You know, we called it different kinds of things, controlling behavior, just beginning to really see how that affected People and particularly women at that point were the focus, but really it happens. We've learned with everybody. So anyway, that was a big wake up call for me because I connected it with things that had happened in my life growing up and so forth. I decided that I really wanted to pursue that. And I was very fascinated with why do we have all this violence in our lives? Not just domestic violence, but others. So I started exploring that. I decided I wanted to be a therapist. I went to school and I found a program that had specialized training and doing and uh, working with domestic abuse, the harm doers, but also with survivors and with children. And that began my career. So I did always specialize. I did a lot of mental health work, but I really uh, developed a program for survivors of domestic abuse and eventually wrote a book, Coercive Relationships, Find the Answers You Seek. And I do a blog now. I have retired from therapy, but that's what really prompted me because it's so present in our culture. You know, somebody, I think everybody knows someone, whether they grew up with it or whether they've heard of something. So it's really important for us to understand more about it and how it affects people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I appreciate you mentioning also your book, which is great. I had the opportunity to read it. So thank you so much. The Coercive Relationships, Find the Answers You Seek. It's a wonderful resource. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit
1: about what is coercive control? Definitely. Before, Because I have a tendency to forget things, I'm going to first mention that if anybody is interested in my book, if you go to the show notes, you have a 20% discount that you can use on the publisher's website. So those links will be there. Yes, they'll be in the show notes. Coercive control is a pattern of behavior. It's not a one-time thing. It's a pattern of behavior that maintains dominance in a relationship over a person using fear, using dependency, and depriving them of their basic civil rights. And a lot of times we don't think about it that way, but really people in a relationship where their partner is abusing them, whether it's emotional abuse or physical, they're depriving them of their basic civil rights to be able to choose what they say sometimes, to be able to maybe choose whether or not they work, you know, whether they see friends, relatives, et cetera, those kinds of things. And um, it, my book includes 12 different, what I call in the book, bricks of coercive control, 10 of which are emotional, mental abuse. And then two of which are, are physical abuse. The emotional, yeah. very important.
0: And I'm glad you bring that up because I think a lot of times when people think about intimate partner abuse, they think about sexual assault, rape, physical abuse, but the and the emotional is much harder i think for people to identify because it's not maybe so obvious. And so i wonder if you can speak a little bit more. I mean you you mentioned the control aspect, but is i wonder if you can speak a little bit more to what else might be present in those bricks that have to do with the emotional coercion,
1: the emotional abuse. Negating, uh, putting down things that people say, what you might think, what your opinions are, making you feel as if you're not uh, okay, or just feeling like you have to constantly defend yourself. Um, Seducing in the beginning, it can be be very subtle in terms of being more seductive. So there's one that's called seduction. Uh, I named them, by the way, for how they impact people. Self doubt, ones that create self doubt. Although all, of course, of control tends to do that. Right off the top of my head, it's hard for me to come up with things when I'm on. Uh, but there are twelve different ones. Uh, certainly, um, harsh criticism, all of that kind of thing. And when it's constantly happening over and over, it begins to sink in, and people start to believe. Well, maybe they deserve it. Maybe what am I doing? That's that. This is happening. You know to take more responsibility for it. And then of course that leads straight into the guilt, which I know is something that you wanted to focus on.
0: Yes. And one thing that I also noticed in your book that I really appreciated you mentioning is you talk about mental health disorders, illness. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I have heard in my practice is, oh, well, you know, the guilt of, well, they have this mental health issue and Mm -hmm. therefore it's not their fault. And the sense of guilt around leaving somebody when they're in that kind of struggle and what I really appreciated at least how I understood when I read your book was that that's not a reason not to take care of yourself right that's not a reason to stay and how that guilt can be so tricky
1: yes absolutely and they use it that way you know Oh, poor me. And there's a lot of other things, you know, that they might use. And what's wrong with you that you're just going to, you know, leave me. But think about, I encourage people to think about if they were the one in those shoes, if they had a mental illness, would they excuse themselves for any poor behavior that they use for any harm doing that they do? Would they excuse themselves? And most of the time people say no. You know, so we're all responsible for our choices. And if we have an issue, and sometimes survivors also, on the other hand, many times people uh, start to excuse a harm doer's behavior because, oh, I have manic depressive disorder. And, you know, I know that I've had some behaviors that have been really tough and therefore excuse their behavior. No, they have a choice about how they respond. Everyone is responsible for their own behavior segues
0: really well into the next question, which is, I wonder if you can talk about some ways that coercive control contributes to unreasonable guilt. So somebody feeling guilt that might feel very reasonable to them in the moment, but truly does not, isn't something they need
1: to take on. Well, as I mentioned before, when we're, if you constantly are receiving uh, criticism, if you're constantly, you know, being blamed for things that you could never control, if the uh, harm doer comes home, if the partner comes home and and like had a bad day at work and somehow it becomes your fault <laughs> because, you know, maybe you had an argument. He had an argument before or she had an argument before or whatever it might be. And so over time, that really starts to sink in, especially if you are isolated to the degree that you're isolated and you're not getting other information. Information is really important. Um, And so that contributes to beginning to believe in it. The other thing is, it's normal to try to avoid any form of abuse, right? So in trying to please a partner who uses abuse, you know, you try all kinds of things, it can begin to morph into, I'm responsible, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> because I just haven't found the right thing there. You know, it's kind of, it can become tricky. So I don't, don't want anybody to feel shame about trying to avoid abuse. It's that if you're in an abusive relationship right now, you need to do things as much as you can. But it's also important to know there's no way that you can avoid all abuse because it's up to that person. And sometimes they actually change their expectations. So it's like there's no way you can please them. So it's important. So that can be another contributor to guilt. It's like, and try because sometimes you're successful, you know, it's like you do something and yeah, oh, well. We had a good day today, and then you begin to feel like, well, then it's all up to me, and and that contributes to the guilt. And then another thing is just predictable, predictable effects of being in a coercively controlling relationship are that you're going to lower your self esteem is going to be lowered, and you're gonna your self doubt is going to increase. You know, it's constantly being told no, you're wrong or you're to blame, and different kinds of coercive control you begin to, it really lowers your self-esteem and those both contribute to accepting unreasonable guilt. It also contributes to maybe apologizing even to friends, other people who are not being abusive, apologizing for things that you really have no control over because you began to assume that you have that kind of power. If you think about it, it's really interesting because Victims, of course, of control are attributed all kinds of huge power over the person, when in effect, that's not what's going on at all.
0: Yes, I so appreciate that. And also how that can then also lead to shame and and almost an experience of embarrassment that somebody might be in the situation or stay. And then that too, kind of wanting to hide that from other friends or Mm -hmm. colleagues. Absolutely. In that way. And that, I mean, that's kind of what's coming up for me as I hear you. Yes,
1: yeah. definitely contributes to shame, which then also leads people to pull away more from relationships, even if the, the abusive partner isn't mandating that, um, that it's like, I don't want anybody to know what's happening to me because they take on that shame.
0: Ready to strengthen your self-care practice? I have a free guide for you to help you identify the areas in your life where you need the most replenishment. And learn the next steps you can take to feel more relaxed and restored. To get the guide, go to forward slash opt in The link is in the show notes, so that you can live the ease-filled life you dream of. And I'm also appreciating then how hard it is could be to ask for help. And so I'm I'm wondering, and this leads to the next question. Your book, Coercive Relationships, how does that work as a resource to help people reject guilt and blame from a person
1: who uses abuse to try to manipulate and control them? I'm so glad you asked that question. So one of the most important things is that they begin to name what's happening. My book helps people to name, to see it for what it is, call it by the right name Because not not because, you know, you've got to go around blaming and shaming the other person. First of all, that probably is not uh, safe oftentimes to do, but just for you to know so that you're not taking on all of that responsibility and that guilt. So naming is extremely important. By naming it, um, it takes away the power of what's happening and they can see what it is, even if they can't do anything about it yet, you know, it can begin to begin to think about what is it that they want to do. People who use abuse, a big part of their power is that they control the script of their life and they control what's going on. They control the naming. And so you're taking back your power when you begin to get that information. And I think I mentioned before that information is really power. So my book can be part of that information. I also, uh, another thing that's really helpful is to identify what the common beliefs are of people who permit themselves to use any kind of oppression control. Looking at those beliefs, and that helps to reduce the guilt and shame as well. It's like, no, that belongs to them. Uh, Sometimes when someone who uses uh, abuse says, I love you, it has a different kind of meaning. I'm not saying they don't love, but their interpretation of what love means can be very different. It's not a mutual sort of thing, give and take. It's uh, then I expect you to take care of me or you to bend to whatever it is I want. Another thing that helps is that I tie that to our cultural understanding, our cultural assumptions that really permit people to believe act in those kinds of ways and it contributes to all forms of violence when you look at it and so I feel like that really helps people again to not assume their personal responsibility it's like okay I see it also happening out here in the culture in different ways and that still doesn't mean that my partner isn't responsible for their choices Um, but that it again it reduces that shame it reduces that guilt. Another thing is that I really hope I really think that I try to identify the strengths of people, strengths that they've used, even though um, they often feel like they haven't done that. But when they reach out to other people, if they've done that, if they uh, are reaching out, you know, listening to a podcast like this, reading a book looking for that information that is going to empower them and help them to figure out what's going on rather than taking total responsibility all of that contributes to them also beginning to examine what they want and need you know and sometimes that's leaving the relationship sometimes it's confronting the the person and saying you need to get help you know whatever that looks like for that person
0: yeah that's great and and i remember when i was reading you had mentioned that sometimes creating a safety plan as well, is even empowering in and of itself, that there is right, there's a way out, or there is that that plan in place. And also, it sounds like maybe that could
1: even legitimize, this is a situation where I would need that. Yes, I, I really encourage therapists or other, you know, professionals who work with anybody who's in an abusive relationship, not to tell them to leave, but it is good to say if you're picking up, especially if there's a lot of signs of that this could be a lethal situation. And by the way, things can turn lethal, even when it's all been, quote, unquote, only emotional abuse. I don't mean to minimize it because it's it actually has long-term psychological and physical effects. Um, but when it's been emotional abuse, sometimes people downplay, it. So, oh, it's not so dangerous. But there's a lot of times times when it does become physical. If, for instance, the person decides they're going to leave or they're going to confront the person. So that's important. So hearing from a therapist or anybody else that I'm concerned for you because of blah, 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 whatever it is, XYZ. i Z. I'm just concerned and I think it might be a good idea. That's not telling the person they have to leave. It's But it's underlining for them that, yes, this is a serious issue.
0: The other thing I wonder as as you're talking, this is coming up for me, that sometimes certain personality types, for example, I'm just thinking like a covert narcissist, like somebody who's really good at fooling everyone around them, that they are a wonderful human being, while really only the very, very close to them know the other side. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or suggestions or wisdom or insight to offer somebody who might be in a situation where they feel so invalidated that everybody mm-hmm. else thinks this person, their partner is so great. And they're kind of having some questions of, is it my fault? Is it my, am I the one in the wrong here? Then that mm-hmm. guilt when, mm-hmm. and, and any messages that you might be able to offer somebody in that situation? I don't know if anything comes up, but I was wondering that as we were talking.
1: That's really, really difficult because sometimes you do get messages like that from a friends or family, especially if they have a close relationship, if they feel good about the person, they can be really Jekyll and Hyde. And so they can often hide that. It is also true that with some families, they may be more accepting of, well, you know, this is just life. You know, you, you just, what did you do that caused this? That you can get those kinds of messages. So I think it's really important to reach out as much as you can and form other relationships that can be supportive. Sometimes that means going to a domestic abuse program, being in a support group, or just sitting down with somebody one time so that you're starting to get other information. You're starting to, to find people who understand because often it is an issue of understanding. Um, I recommend my book to people who are concerned about a family member who wonder what's going on too, because it helps them to understand what's going on and to know how to be more supportive, to not just say things like, what are you doing? Or, oh, you just need to leave. Why aren't you leaving kind of thing? Because that is really complicated and oftentimes dangerous for people. So it's important to prepare. I think, speaks to your question as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm actually publishing a blog. It isn't out yet. It's called Emotional Abuse Healing. And I identify in there that you cannot fully heal if you're constantly getting abuse. This is true. But there are things you can do to begin that healing process. And one of them is becoming an observer, Learning to look at your partner's behavior and what they're doing and label that. Not necessarily to them because that might not be safe, but you know what's going on. And it helps to have other people who are reinforcing that for you. So again, very important if you're isolated, if you don't have people who understand what you're going on to look out and reach for that. And sometimes that, again, is first either an agency or a therapist that you find who understands. Break the habit of thinking you can prevent the abuse and that, you know, can become a habit and so you can fall back into it even though you begin to label what's going on. So really work with breaking that habit and begin to really focus on what you want, what you think, what you believe, what you feel, because those are things that coercive control is designed to suppress. It's like you become, for understandable reasons, all your focus and energy is going towards trying to prevent that other person from getting upset with you, prevent that other person. And it's good to keep yourself safe and it's good. And again, the support network, creating that support network gives you an avenue to begin to explore that, to be able to talk about what you think, what you believe, what you want for your life, and not just have somebody assume, well, you just need to leave, or you just need to do this, that, or the other, um, because it's different for every person. And I really respect that everybody has their own journey and has to decide what they need. So those are things that I think people can do, even if they're still in the abusive relationship. They're not easy, <laughs> okay. I, I'm not saying that's an easy path, but it's something to begin with.
0: And so for the people who maybe aren't in a position where they feel safe enough or ready to confront or to leave their abusive partner? How, and and maybe you're, maybe this is what you're kind of, you're already sort of alluding to, but is there anything else that comes up in terms of how they can heal, how they can find their support for themselves? You're, you're, you're already kind of talking about this a little bit, but I don't know if there's anything else that comes up for you.
1: Well, certainly the things that I just mentioned, but also I want to acknowledge how hard it is to utilize self-care. And I don't want anybody to feel ashamed because they can't, you haven't been able to do it, that there's not time, that the energy and so forth. And at the same time, I think maybe again, talking to someone or thinking about what are some little things I could begin with? Because when we're doing something that brings joy to our life or that brings peace to our lives, that gives us, you know, more space for us, you know, and if you have a spiritual tradition, that can be really helpful. So prayer or whatever your spiritual tradition is, those can be things that you can do. Uh, But again, sometimes I've said to people. Okay, let's just start with when you have to go grocery shopping, you sit in the car for two minutes before you go in and you just breathe or, you know, whatever. You focus on something that you appreciate, just having those small moments. And maybe throughout the day when you're doing the dishes or when you're putting the kids to bed or whatever it is, you again, remind yourself. And sometimes I've had one person say, I just said a little repetitive alarm for myself. And every time it went off, you know, a bell or chime or something, I just focused on my breath because they found that calming. Mm -hmm. But whatever is helpful to you. Exercise is extremely important oftentimes for many people. Meditation and focusing on breathing is not, is useful for many people, but it isn't for others. So find that thing that's good for you.
0: Yes. I so appreciate that. And what I often just piggybacking on what you're talking about, what I often notice is that there's that disappearing. You mentioned the wants that the part of the coercive control is to sort of how I hear you is kind of erase your access or connection with what you want. And I'm uh, so appreciating how even creating those little moments in the car before you get the grocery store or wherever it is, it's possible, accessible to come back into, in contact with you, right? Mm -hmm. And begin nourishing that, that sense of self, that sense of presence, that sense of maybe there is a want there, maybe there are feelings there, you know, that maybe has been buried in order to survive the relationship.
1: Yeah. And thank you for underlining that because it is true. Sometimes people have even some people begin to have difficulty identifying what they feel and what they want.
0: Anything else that maybe we haven't touched on that would for closing thoughts or reflections or insight that you'd like to share if there's anything we haven't touched on yet that you'd want to mention before we close for today?
1: Well, let's see. It's a journey. I remember when I was doing therapy with someone, um, that person, I think it's important to give yourself credit for this, each step that you take. And oftentimes we don't. And during this one particular session, I tried to do that with people. It's like, okay, we've been working together for a while. How do you, how you think it's going? And sort of looking at the goals they set at the beginning. And this person just was having a really great day. Um, She, by the way, was not in the relationship except through her children. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, post-separation abuse happens, which we haven't mentioned. Um, Primarily emotional, but it can be uh, physical as well. And so uh, because the other parent, of course, had access to the children, they could still continue to do the coercive control with them. And this person just automatically went into this is what's really been helpful to me. She started saying and things that she had changed. And I stopped her at one point and I said, would it be okay if I used this with therapists when I'm training them or maybe put it into a blog or something? And she said, sure. And so I wrote it up and I gave it to her to approve and so forth. But doing that is so important. And oftentimes we don't, all of us, not just people who have been victimized by coercive control. Oftentimes we don't give ourselves credit for what we are doing. So like keeping a list of that, rather than all the things that you're not doing, the things you are doing, taking that two minutes at a time, for instance. Even being, for for people for whom, focusing on their breathing is helpful. Even doing that for 30 seconds can help to reset your emotions, can help you to come back into yourself.
0: I so appreciate that. Yes, that acknowledgement of of the steps that we're taking and kind of that little moment of maybe appreciation and gratitude toward ourselves Is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Beautiful. And I also am appreciating that you mentioned that when there's uh, children involved, even after if there is a separation or divorce, if in the case of marriage, that that can continue to occur. And so that that is, that's real. And that the self-care is so important as part of navigating and coping with
1: that as well. Self-care, having a team of people behind you that support you through that is really important.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here today and for speaking with me. I will definitely have the links in the show notes so people can access the discount for your book and then also um, find a way to access you and, and learn more about you if they're interested. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening today. Subscribe to not miss another episode and please share this podcast with a friend you think might benefit. I'd love to remind as many people as possible that they too can have the peace, calm, and rejuvenation that a little self-love and care can bring. And lastly, I'd love if you would leave me a review and let me know how I'm doing. See you next week.